IBN is proud to bring you the following podcast. Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm TJ O'Hara, the Principal Political Analyst for IBN, the Independent Voter News. Our goal on Deconstructed is to break down important political issues with outstanding guests, so you can develop your own more informed opinion. My guest today is Pierce Godwin, founder and CEO of the Listen First Project, as well as the hashtag Listen First Coalition, which is comprised of over 300 organizations that are striving to bridge the political divide in our country. Mr. Godwin graduated from Duke University and received an MBA from UNC Chapel Hill. He spent five years working in the United States Senate and as a national political consultant for presidential and statewide campaigns. His work has been recognized by all of the major television and print news outlets, including interviews on Fox News and MSNBC, and he is a regular contributor to USA Today. Mr. Godwin joins me today to discuss the challenges we face in today's polarized political climate and what needs to be done to refocus on the concept of being united. Welcome to Deconstructed, Pierce. Thank you so much for having me, PJ. It's great to be here. Pierce, for over a decade, my personal tagline has been, new horizons require fresh perspectives. And you've put your own spin on that to try to heal our nation's political wounds. Let's talk about the journey you've been on. And indeed, it started with a journey. It sure did. You know, TJ, my story is an example of what all of us need to do to some degree, and that is stepping outside of our comfort zone, stepping outside of our own silos where those around us think like us and look like us. For me, that took a rather dramatic case of going from five years working in Washington, D.C., as you mentioned, to spending six months over in Uganda, Africa, before moving home here to North Carolina, where I currently reside. Uh, was over in Uganda with Christian International Relief Organization. Just kind of had a real desire to do something bigger than myself. Honestly, TJ, I tell people that D.C. was probably too good a fit for me. I'm definitely a kind of high-achieving, fast-moving person who found myself probably too motivated by my own advancement, by what my own success would look like, and just had kind of a nagging feeling that there was something more and had an opportunity to go with a friend to Uganda and indeed have my perspective shaped like never before. And the reason, you know, that experience has led directly to our conversation today is that, of course, as somebody from the Southern United States, upper middle class, when I spent time in some of the tougher parts of Uganda, I was struck by that abject material poverty. But at the same time, so deeply moved by this incredible relational wealth, despite those circumstances, that's something that touched me deeply and really came to the fore as I thought about coming back over here across the pond to the United States. I was on an overnight bus ride from Uganda to Kenya to go and see all the incredible animals in the Serengeti and seeing some headlines coming from back home here in the U.S. about people just at each other's throats this vitriol across differences reaching a fever pitch. And and mind you, TJ, this was 2013. I think we'd probably trade in those quaint days today if we could in many respects. But I thought to myself, this is kind of crazy. I'm going to go back home to the most prosperous nation on earth, materially speaking, yet this abject relational poverty. And that juxtaposition with my experience in Africa, with the new perspective I had gained over there, motivated me to jot down some thoughts along those lines, which gained traction over here in the U.S. and ultimately led to the Listen First Project. 
Tell me a little bit about the solution that you initially suggested in that article. Yeah, in that piece, which I thought was just a blog post to go on my little blog that mom and a few friends had been reading when I was in Washington, D.C., was titled, It's Time to Listen. And my basic sentiment there were that we've got to move beyond this slander and seek common ground. There's no way we can hope for a healthy, prosperous nation if we're demagoguing our neighbors just because they see the world differently. And honestly, this concept of listening had not been something that I had ever had a particular interest in. I mean, supposedly I might have learned that skill in kindergarten or earlier. I'm personally fairly terrible at it. But it struck me as I reflected on that bus ride that that somewhat simple act and certainly kind of basic non-revolutionary idea of listening to each other is what was missing as I was seeing reports of folks just screaming at one another across a myriad of differences. So that really landed for me, this idea of what if we just listen? What if we just, as the pledge on a subsequent bus ride, once I was seen, this, this idea gained traction, said, why don't we have a pledge? And it's simply, I will listen first to understand. So that basic step of opening our minds, our hearts, our ears, listen with curiosity to suspend judgment and extend grace, to be curious and open to learning felt like something that would move us in the right direction. And after seven or eight years on this mission, I still think that that's probably the best single thing that we can all do as a first step is to have that intentional effort of listening to understand, especially across differences, especially with those with whom we disagree. What is the purpose of the Listen First Coalition that evolved from this? Yeah, you know, I came back to the United States, got myself a normal job in marketing in Raleigh, North Carolina, but certainly felt like I had discovered a passion and a mission for myself. And on that time, Listen First Project was growing. We had the pledge. As I mentioned, I will listen first to understand. Folks were signing it. I was speaking a little bit, continuing to write some columns. But in those early years, I realized that it wasn't just me in little Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, but that they're already were a number of other organizations out there who in their own way are bringing Americans together across differences. And something about my instincts said, well, gosh, this is great. I don't need to create my own thing. What if we could have an even greater impact by working together? Imagine the kind of synergies and symbioses that, that we might cultivate by joining our efforts, by aggregating, aligning, and amplifying all of these many efforts to reach farther and impact greater than any one of us could ever hope to alone. And that led to the Listen First Coalition. In early 2017, we launched the coalition with four organizations, and today they're almost 400. So just realizing that there are so many other groups who, like me, had, had had a moment when they said, you know what, my own convictions, my own beliefs are precious and important. At the same time, I am deeply concerned, perhaps even more concerned at this point, about the breakdown of our society, about the toxic polarization and demonizing each other across differences. Let me lean into that. Let me see what I might be able to do to create opportunities and invitations for Americans to come and see humanity across differences. So it's been my honor to elevate the heroic work taking place across this field, across the entire Listen First Coalition, and especially focus myself on how we can catalyze all of that energy into larger scale campaigns and strategies that invite more Americans of all backgrounds and beliefs to come to the proverbial table together and find a way forward. 
Two of the principles of the Listen First mission relate to the fact that every person has dignity and diversity can be America's greatest strength. Can you speak to those points, please? Absolutely. I think one of our greatest problems right now is that we've stopped seeing that basic dignity in our fellow Americans. I think when that happens, we're in serious trouble. Of course, world history is littered with examples of groups viewing other groups as less than fully human, and it never ends well. TJ, as I know you have as part of your expertise, this idea that we're all social animals, right? It makes sense. We all feel in ourselves those tribal instincts. Our brain biology makes us very sensitive to these feelings of group belonging, perceived threats of exclusion from groups, and external threats from members of other groups. All of these primal survival instincts make sense, but aren't serving us so well when we start defining these outside groups, as survey research tells us, as enemy, as threat. Then our brains are starting to develop this range of negative perceptions and misperceptions about them and their intentions. We start ignoring basic social norms and the risk of violence increases as we've seen across the country. And I think that first dangerous step of dehumanization, of believing, as research tells us, that some of those on the other side lack the traits to be fully human, we're in real trouble. So I want to start there. I want to start with recognizing the basic humanity and dignity in the human beings that may come from a different background, may have different beliefs than we do. And indeed, I'm a huge fan of the United States of America. I'm a huge fan of our founding yet unfulfilled ideals. And I think the diversity that has characterized this country from the beginning can absolutely be our greatest strength. I mean, whether you're looking at it very practically from kind of a team and business perspective, we know that diversity of thought leads to greater decisions. I think at a more basic level, it just makes life a lot more interesting. I think having so many different stories, so many different backgrounds represented within these national borders gives us a tremendous advantage and a tremendous opportunity. And we can choose to appreciate those differences and all that they can give each one of us, or we can turn against one another and tear our country apart from within. Pierce, we're going to take a quick break and talk more about your initiative when we come back. The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers is the only association of nonpartisan election reform leaders, organizations, and industry professionals dedicated to increasing electoral competition and voter choice. Learn more at nonpartisanreformers.org. Welcome back. My guest today is Pierce Godwin, founder and CEO of the Listen First Project and the hashtag Listen First Coalition. Pierce, you have a very interesting section in your website, and it gives a breakdown of the statistics of what's driving some of the inability to break through the political malaise that we currently face. You talk about toxic polarization. Let's begin there. I'll start with the first statistic, and you can take it from there. 87% of people say political polarization is a threat to America. Yeah, TJ, I agree with that 87%. I think what we think of as this toxic polarization, which I would simply define as the way we demonize each other across differences, is a grave threat to our families, our communities, and our country. And the more I talk to Americans, uh, old friends and new friends, folks I run into around town or in traveling across the country, it is increasingly hitting close to home for so many of us. 
It's causing breakdown from the dinner table to family vacation, from the workplace to worship services. And my own perspective is that the American experiment will not long endure unless we reverse this trend. And as you point out, the numbers bear that out. You know, those 87% agree with you and I, TJ, that it is a threat to America. And speaking of threat, I think one of the key problems, as we've touched on, is that when we start seeing those people, those unlike ourselves, as a threat, we're in trouble. And unfortunately, more than half the country, 54%, say that other people in America pose the biggest threat to our country. 66% see the opposing party as a serious threat to the U.S. And then it gets real scary when we look at 42% who see the opposing party as, quote, downright evil. 20% say members of the other side, quote, lack the traits to be considered fully human. And then the one that gives me pause, honestly, more than any other, that 15% of Republicans and 20% of Democrats say the country will be better off if large numbers of opposing partisans, quote, just died. TJ, that's terrifying. We've talked about the slippery slope from dehumanization, seeing that really we don't think those people belong to saying, yeah, indeed, I feel like if they just died, we'd all be better off. That degree of sectarianism, that degree of animus and vitriol across differences, unless checked and reversed, which is exactly what you know we're hoping to do, does lead to continual violence. Of course, already having seen some of that. You know, a healthy, thriving democracy means that despite our differences, we have some basic level of tolerance for other people and, and for other perspectives. We, we think they belong. And democracy thrives when we're able to grapple with one another, to have that competition of ideas and to move forward together. But right now, we're not seeing just the opposition. We're seeing enemies rather than political opposition, which you know, a majority of Democrats and Republicans are looking through that lens these days. As you say, it's frightening that 20% of the people on either side would say that their opponents lack traits to be considered fully human. And I suppose that justifies when you said the 15% of Republicans, 20% of Democrats think the country would be better off if the opposing partisans just died. How unhealthy is that, particularly based on the fact that they have such limited knowledge of each other. And you point that out on your website. I think the first statistic, if I recall, was like 77% have fewer or no friends on the other side of the aisle. Exactly right. And this is laying the foundation for the dehumanization we're seeing today. This doesn't require statistics or any special knowledge for us to recognize in our own lives that it's easier to understand somebody when we know them when we have a basic level of familiarity. And on the other hand, it's much easier to just castigate and throw rhetorical bombs at folks when we don't know them, when we're behind our screens, when they aren't individuals to us, but they are just part of them. They are just part of that group. So I think that is a major part of the problem, the way in which we've sorted ourselves over recent decades into these silos where I'm very likely running into folks that are quite similar to myself, very likely having the same sources of information, very likely voting for the same presidential candidates as more than 60% now live in these so-called landslide counties where the Democrat or the Republican presidential candidate wins by 20 plus points. And 
the 85% who say those who voted for the other presidential candidate don't understand people like them are probably right. You know, some of the, the shock we've seen from both sides at, at successes and advances of one party or another, I think speaks to that. We don't even realize some of these people exist, certainly in the numbers they do, because we're not around them. We haven't taken the time to learn some of their story, to learn some of their perspective. And on the other side of that coin, we're somewhat resistant these days to share those perspectives that we may hold that may not be the prevailing perspective in our friend group, in our workplace. 62% saying this political climate prevents them from saying what they believe because we're not extending grace to one another, TJ. Somebody says something that we find problematic for one reason or another. And if I may, I think we're all too quick to shout them down, to tell them that that perspective is not allowed to not really live out this ideal of tolerance that we like to talk about sometimes, but to only tolerate perspectives that we share and that we find right and true. That's only increasing the state of division in the country. I think we've got to take a step back from that fighting each other and ask ourselves the question, is America worth preserving? How much do we care, regardless of where we're coming from, that, as Abraham Lincoln said, our nation long endures? You also point out that more than 50% of the people expect political violence to increase and that 93% of Americans say it's important to reduce divisiveness in the United States, including two-thirds who say it's very important to do so. But on the positive side, there is hope. Let's talk about the number of people who believe there actually is common ground. I was so encouraged, TJ, by a recent finding by our friends at More in Common that 66% say the differences between Americans are not so big that we cannot come together. The other side of that coin being 34% do think that at this point our differences are too big to be able to work together anymore. But I'm encouraged by that two-thirds. I'm encouraged by the 71% who believe there's more common ground among the American people than the news media and political leaders portray. That hope exists, and I think that hope is so important. Because I think we are, in large part, the problem and the solution. We've got, of course, this superstorm of polarization now. There are literally over 50 different theories for why. And I think it's very easy for us to sit back and point our fingers at others for this problem. And I think that accomplishes exactly nothing. I think it only makes the problem worse. And I would encourage us that we're not helpless victims of these divisive forces, that we're entirely capable of righting the ship but we have to care enough about the future of America to do something about it. Because the people traditionally don't interact, particularly in the hyper-partisan environment we're in, how do you help bring them together through your organization? It starts with that basic familiarity and understanding. You know, Listen First Project and many of the organizations across the Listen First Coalition are leaning on something called the intergroup contact theory. The idea that's been proven by research that under the right conditions, interacting with someone who is from what an academic would call the out-group, so unlike myself, can not only create a degree of warmth and empathy and understanding for that individual person that we may be interacting with, but can also allow us to check some of our perceptions, often misperceptions, of those who are in their group. So this idea that we don't all 330 million of us have to meet with one another, 
but by crossing some of those lines of difference, by engaging and seeing humanity across those difference, by having interpersonal reactions, we can turn down the temperature. We can turn down some of those perceptions and misperceptions and this doom loop we're in of feeling negatively toward those unlike ourselves, while also assuming that they feel quite negatively towards us and creating a self-fulfilling prophecy, whereas not only are our judgments of the other group often misguided and lacking context and understanding, but our judgments of how much they may dislike us have proven in research to be way off the mark, which again just creates this exacerbated doom loop of toxic polarization. So we're bringing folks together, TJ. It's about bringing Americans together across differences to hear some of each other's story, to hear why each of us through our life experiences have come to one perspective or another. And at the end of the day, just to see and appreciate that humanity that exists in those people, in those whom we may find so easy to demonize. That's the way I think we take that first step of turning down the heat so that we can begin to address some of our shared problems in which we're currently paralyzed and then find a way forward together. Pierce, we're going to take a quick break and talk more about your initiative and what people can do when we come back. Looking for an insider's perspective? Join IBM's principal political analyst, Dr. T.J. O'Hara, as he deconstructs America's most pressing issues with notable guests from across the political spectrum. Subscribe to Deconstructed for fresh perspectives and no partisan spin. Welcome back. My guest today is Pierce Godwin, founder and CEO of the Listen First Project and the hashtag Listen First Coalition. Pierce, we've talked about what's driving the organization. What is the end game? You know, that's a question, TJ, that I ask of myself. And frankly, I ask of those who are perpetuating the problem. Where does this lead? For those who reject the idea of coming together across differences, let's play that out a little bit. I've shorthanded some answers I've gotten to delusion, doom, duck, and dash. So I think many of us are behaving these days across the board as if somehow, some way, we are going to ultimately vanquish and achieve victory over those people that will no longer have to contend with them or their values, frankly, in the pluralistic and highly diverse and mixed country that is the United States. I think that's delusional. I've also got a lot of folks here saying, you know what, I don't have that hope we were talking about in the last segment. I think we're irrevocably destined to violent conflict, to another civil war. That's doom. Let's avoid that if we can. And then uh, number three, a lot of folks are, are ducking. A lot of folks are saying, you know what, I'm going to disengage completely from any sort of civic participation and just kind of crouch down with my closest family and friends, give up on this country. And finally, dash, folks who are saying this is spiraling out of control. I have a, an actual plan to go to another country, to leave and to just get away from what's happening here. Clearly, the end game that I'm fighting for and that everybody in Listen First Coalition is fighting for is one that fulfills the promise the United States of America has always had. And I think that's a real key is that we look across these differences, across these backgrounds and beliefs and see fellow Americans, that all of our other identities are super important, our racial, our religious, our political identities are so important. But if they dwarf that one shared common identity we have, that as fellow Americans, then we will lose it. So I think we have to have hope. We have to have hope and we have to believe that we are in it 
together, that all of us belong, and that by working together, we can create that more perfect union, that by spending time together as fellow Americans of all backgrounds and beliefs, we can thrive as a nation of difference without this union. And TJ, that's a lot of the work and the campaigns that we have co-created with our partners are bold conversations that we see creating a new foundation of trust and grace upon which we can solve shared problems and achieve that more perfect union. Since 2018, that's looked like an annual National Week of Conversation every spring. This last outing for National Week of Conversation began with a large galvanizing event called America Talks in partnership with USA Today and Walmart and Microsoft and others. That was an opportunity for folks to come together in one-on-one virtual online video conversations to learn a little bit about each other's story, to talk about what they see in America. You know, last year, of course, we were hit by the pandemic and that spring period that was to be the National Week of Conversation. So that became an ongoing pandemic response campaign called Weaving Community, in which we were seeking to lean in together to serve and connect with our neighbors through that most tumultuous time we were all experiencing So we're looking ahead to the 2022 National Week of Conversation, again, kicking off with America Talks that'll be in April this coming year. And then, TJ, as we continue to seek more and more Americans to engage in these kind of opportunities to see humanity across difference, we're also working on a project called Meeting of America to engage millions, whereas National Week of Conversation and America Talks have engaged thousands year after year. We think we've really got to escalate and accelerate our progress from these regular sparks that have been very impactful to a real jolt to to break the fever that America is currently in. And that's where we're working with major businesses, universities, civic groups, and faith communities for an all-hands-on-deck opportunity called Meeting of America that will come online in, in the months and years to come. So your campaigns aren't limited to organizations, they extend out to individuals as well, is that correct? Exactly right. It's all about leveraging the organizations and those who have already kind of opted in to this movement to heal America by bridging divides and to get many more to the table. All of our organizational efforts and partners are a means to that end, a means to a level of awareness of the opportunities and the inspiration for hope that gets individual Americans to the table. And that's what we hope to see more and more of next April with America Talk and the annual National Week of Conversation and then the subsequent Meeting of America from there. Just as many chances as we can have to each individually make a different choice, to choose to listen first, to understand, to extend grace and suspend judgment, to speak from our own experiences as opposed to just talking points that demonize us versus them. That, we think, is the way forward, and and we're inviting individual Americans, regardless of their background and belief, uh, to come and be part of those conversations, to be heard, and to get to know each other. Pierce, in the limited amount of time we have left, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, listen first, and how they can participate if they so choose? Would love for your listeners to be a part of this Listen First movement. You can go to listenfirstproject.org and take that first step of signing the pledge, committing to Listen First to understand. And by getting on that mailing list and being part of that community. Your listeners will be inspired every Friday with a Listen First Friday video message from folks like yourself, TJ, and others who believe in this mission and and who continue to give us all 
the hope to make those daily choices and how we interact across difference in our lives. And they'll also be kept in the loop on these large scale campaigns and opportunities to participate while also encouraging your listeners to check out the many organizations in the Listen First Coalition who day in and day out are providing those opportunities to bridge divides, to see humanity, to find a better way forward for all of us as fellow Americans in this country we love. Pierce Godwin, founder of the Listen First Project and the hashtag Listen First Coalition. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I think you're doing an amazing job of bringing together those who truly care about our country. Listen First, what an elegantly simple concept and the proper place to start. Pierce, I wish you and your organization continued success. And thank you for joining me on Deconstructed. Thanks for having me, PJ. This podcast is brought to you by IVN.us, an open news platform for independent-minded authors and readers. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe to IVN.us where you listen to podcasts. On SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or iHeartRadio.